You're listening to the Culture and Talent Podcast from Nemours Children's Health. Welcome to the Nemours Culture and Talent Podcast. I'm your host today, Jared Narlock, the Strategic Culture and Talent Program Manager. And I am joined by a wonderful team member. Sarah, if you could take a moment to introduce yourself. Thanks, Jared. My name is Sarah Huddleston, and I serve as the Culture and Talent Project Manager here with our culture and talent team at Nemours Children's. Awesome. Thanks so much, Sarah. And I appreciate you taking the time to talk with us today as we're going to jump into something that you and I were talking about recently. And I thought, oh, this would be wonderful for people to hear some additional insights on because it's it's a question we get asked a lot about, which is from leaders, what do I do to ensure that I have a great onboarding process for when I'm bringing new people on? How can I get my team involved? And it's an interesting one because it's a question that, as you and I were discussing, we get different answers when we ask leaders or team members, hey, when you think about onboarding, what does that mean to you? And some people say, oh, well, that's from the time the person starts to their first week or their first month or their first 90 days. And the reality is a really great onboarding process starts before they ever officially start. And it goes into really at least a year, but but beyond. And so I'd love to get your perspective on how you would define onboarding and some of the process pieces around it. Absolutely, Jared. I love this topic. I love this question because it really does help get the ball rolling or helps people to think about, you know, what are those first impressions that their new associates are getting of the organization that they're joining, of the team, of their leaders, of their their various colleagues that they're going to be working with. And so the way that I look at onboarding is it really does start the moment that that new or potential associate is looking into your organization as a potential employer or as a, a potential opportunity for them to look into. Um, because it really does start when they're looking through those the website, you're starting to look at, okay, what, you know, what is this organization about? What is their vision? What is their mission? What is their um, their day-to-day look like and how they carry out the work? And so those first impressions really help inform that that person as they're going through the interview process and they're taking in more of those impressions. And that's really building their perspective and their lens that they're walking into the position with. So it really is starting from the beginning um, and from their very first interest to them being fully throughout their first year and beyond really is the full scope on of onboarding. And it, it really encompasses all of the different touch points or the different materials that they're reading about the organization or who they're connecting with throughout the process or how smooth or how not smooth the process might be with their onboarding, it really does incorporate all of those different things. And so that's why having some kind of a plan in place is so helpful when you're you're looking into your onboarding options. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that, Sarah. And one of, one of the key things, what you just mentioned right there is, is having a plan. That is so vital because we think about this. And this, this is something that when I've had leaders, I know talk with me about hey, I, I need this this position. It's been a while and, oh, it's so vital. And they spend all this time and energy through interviewing and posting the role and going through the process to set the stage to where then, even though they may have best of intentions, time takes them somewhere else. And so the person starts, they say, welcome, and boom, 
you're off to the races running. But the reality is, as you mentioned, there's so many pieces along the way and not just in the first day or the first week or first month, but really throughout that, that first year where you mentioned touch points. And so how do we establish that? And realizing it's not just on the leader's shoulders that the majority of our time, our team members are gonna interact with their fellow team members a lot more. And so what does that experience look like is so important. When I was in the military, anytime we would go to a new base, they would have what was called a sponsor. And so I knew that sponsor before I ever got there. They reached out, they introduced themselves, and they made a point of saying, hey, if you need anything, come to me. If, if I don't have the answer, I'll partner with you. We'll figure it out. And that was such a relief because you knew walking in on that first day that, ha, ah, I know I can ask that person questions. They've made that uh, aware And then you also talked about different materials for them to read. And that's such an important piece too. Lots of times we have resources that people can already check into that are going to help with some of those questions, that are going to make them feel connected to say, oh, I want to ask my sponsor or whoever that person may be this piece here and see what they know about it. And as you mentioned, normally these people have researched about the organization already. And so they have a perception. They're coming in to Nemours thinking, wow, this is a great organization. Look at the way that they connect. Sometimes some of them have had children who have been patients. And so they're thinking about it from a patient perspective and they're so excited to connect that way. And we wanna make sure when we're onboarding someone, we do, we have those touch points, we have those materials, we have a consistency and a plan so that they feel welcomed, that they feel engaged and that they're able to become more and more comfortable versus What we hear sometimes, someone said, well, I didn't even know who I was supposed to talk to on the first day. Or after the first day, I kind of felt like I was abandoned. Or after the first week, I didn't know if I should be asking these questions or if I was expected to know these pieces. And that's why it's it's such a big, from a metric perspective, not just at Nemours, but multiple organizations, they look at, hey, how many people are we retaining in the first 90 days? How many in the first year? Because after 90 days, it, it uh, goes up as far as someone being retained in the organization. But then after a year, it goes up much higher. But it's not a metric. And that's what I always try to tell people is, hey, the metrics help us know if we maybe have a process that's working. What can we learn from the process of what's working well, what's not? But it's about authenticity. It's about humanity and having a strategy around it. And I think you really hit on some of those pieces But what else would you add as the overall importance of having that strategy, having that plan when it comes to onboarding? I love what you said, Jared, about, you know, having um, your experience in the military of having someone to go to. And that really just helped alleviate a lot of questions or concerns that you may have had, maybe some anxiety that also is there of, you know, who do I go to to ask questions? And I think that a lot of times when when leaders are creating their onboarding plan or thinking about onboarding, um, they lose the humanity side of it. And sometimes it's those little things that make the difference. A lot of times we forget once we're further into our roles, what it was like to be onboarded originally. And those initial things of, you know, where what's the dress code? Where do I go for, you know, my first meeting? Even, you know, what are the different programs if you're working on, you know, maybe on a non-clinical side, what are the different programs and functions that my team does and how can I have more information about that going into it? So 
If you have like a one pager for your team, sending that to that provides your new associate with talking points. So when they're going into their first day and maybe they're nervous because they are meeting new people and maybe they're not as extroverted, they're more introverted. And so they're a little bit more hesitant to dive into a conversation with everyone. They have something they can talk about. We often encourage leaders to, you know, whether it's a phone call or an email, have more touch points with your associate before they even step foot on your different sites or um, your settings or clinical spaces. Um, or, you know, if they're joining remotely, they're logging on for their first day because it helps people feel more welcome and it helps answer some of those questions that they might have that they're just not sure who to ask. Um, we also say, you know, maybe send out a, a card or, you know, if you have the capacity for your team to all send cards to that new associate because those little moments matter. And if you think back to your onboarding experiences and different capacities, those little touch points that like we talked about really do make all the difference. Uh, I know there was a study that was done and only 12% of associates or, or people that were surveyed said that they had a good onboarding experience. And then there's another study that talked about how people who feel like they had a good onboarding experience were more than two times likely to stay at that organization. So Jared, you touched on you know having um, retention goals and looking at those first 90 days. And if leaders are able to invest their time in an onboarding plan and thinking about, okay, what are those little moments or even just sitting down and writing, what are questions that a new associate might have and how can we answer those before they even get here? Um, those are the things that matter and those really help bring that humanity and that authentic perspective or authentic approach because you're thinking about, okay, what might someone need in this in this space, in this experience, as they're joining a new organization? And then how can we give them that go-to person? So I um, you know we use the Gallup survey and, and one of the Gallup questions is, do you have a best friend at work? And one of our teams here at Nemours Children's, they assign a best friend at work to every new associate. And that's their go-to person to ask questions to help in their onboarding experience for through their first 90 and beyond. And so it really does help bring the support touch points and those different experiences together to create a robust onboarding experience rather than just looking at it, okay, how can we help them once they're here? That's how can we help them in their their pre-first 90, their first 90, and then you know throughout their first year and beyond. Um, it really does take a full plan instead of just those little sections. You have to really put them all together. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, as you were sharing some of those pieces, Sarah, you were bringing back memories. One of being the associate and being new to the organization. And then two, being a leader and going through that process. And as you were breaking down that associate perspective, it, it was bringing me back to that leader perspective in times where I got feedback from associates that, you know, onboarded on, on a team in the past that it went really well. And remembering that there was a full on strategy. And that it had been built and it wasn't something I just had in my back pocket. It was something I had to be deliberate. I remember the, the first person and making sure that I had access. That was a great thing was IT had set up their email a few days prior. So I could send them invites to block time on their calendar every day for the first week and making sure that I was available, knowing it was coming up. And yeah, I had to move some things around because it was a tight schedule, but that was a priority, knowing that I wanted to make sure they had FaceTime and doing that, whether, like you mentioned, it's remote, you can still say, hey, I want to set up some Teams meetings, whatever platform they may be using, or in person, that it's there for the first week. And then in that that second week, 
maybe not every day, but a few days. And, you know, gradually making sure that they have time and that it doesn't become a, a burden for them to have these meetings, but ensuring that each week, especially in that first 90 days, there are always multiple check-ins, touch points. And then that it's still a regular recurrence, that it doesn't just go to, okay, I'm going to meet them once a month for months four, five, six, and beyond, but that there are other pieces in there. And that was something I learned in interviewing associates throughout the process. I took notes. I had some team members that they really wanted to be involved from a, a best friend at work, a sponsor perspective. And they would ask, hey, you've been here 90 days. What's worked well so far? What didn't we have ready that you would like you know, one of our future team members to have ready? And then they did that at six months. And I would do that as well. And I'd find out, hey, was there anything that you were expecting or anything that we laid out as an expectation that you were hoping to see that we didn't follow through on. And then we would check in every, you know, four to six months to say, okay, does our plan need to be updated as we were bringing people on? And so it wasn't something that was reactive, but it was proactive. And we built off of that because we're all in busy environments. And so at times, if you're trying to think, okay, I want to make this a good experience, you're going to forget things. And so making sure that you document it, that you're also not putting it all on your shoulders, but you're partnering with team members, you can create that great experience and then learn. That's part of continuous improvement. Learn as new people come on, oh, this went really well. How do we continue to ensure that that is a, a mainstay? Oh, this didn't go well. We dropped the ball there. What can we do to remedy that? And so I think that's such a big thing that I heard from the takeaway there of be proactive, have a strategy. And the big thing that I really appreciate that you shared there, Sarah, was ensuring that that happens before their first day as well. And I remember starting a, with this role here at Nemours, and I remember getting a welcome card in the mail prior. And I, I moved states when I came to, to this role. So that was awesome. Before I'd even left that state to see that from Allison, I was so excited. And then I remember the welcome package on day one. And I remember the feeling of going home that first day and sharing with my wife and son, look what I got at work. Here's what happened. I was so excited. And I also knew what the next week held for me because she had laid that out. And so it wasn't a surprise. I wasn't as anxious. And so some great pieces that you brought forward there. And one last question I'd like to you know get your insights on is if a leader is thinking about, okay, how can I be more strategic? Where can I go with this? Any advice as far as perspective taking for them to say, okay, if you don't have a plan in place, that's okay. Here's where you can start. What insights would you offer around a starting point for creating a great onboarding experience? Yeah, great question, Jared. I think one would be to understand the organization's process as a whole. So who is involved in the onboarding of your new associate? You know, I know for us at Nemours Children's, we do have work on the clinical side. So we have employee health clearance. We have, you know, general HR operations clearance. There are 
um, you know, different talent acquisition recruiters who are involved. And so knowing who's all involved and what that process is and when your associate might be getting information from those different parties is helpful because it helps shape how many times is this person being reached out to or what do I need to do versus what is already being done. So I know for us, we send out the orientation information to associates, but we don't tell associates where they are going for their first day post-orientation. And so for the leaders to step in to be able to provide that information is just helpful for the leaders to know like, hey, that needs to be done and, you know, make like, they can do it in the appropriate timing. So I'd say one, just get some general understanding of the process at your organization and then two, to involve other associates on your team. So Jared, you mentioned you got cards from our team and I hadn't joined Culture and Town at that point, but I know I got cards from our team whenever I joined and it really did just help warm my heart. It helped confirm that I made the right choice. It um, really just helped affirm my decision there. And so um, incorporate other members from your team. If you have a, a large team, I know many of our teams are on the the larger side and so it can be overwhelming to have an onboarding plan and feel like it's all on your shoulders. And Jared, you mentioned that earlier. It's not all on the leader's shoulders, even though it might feel that way. And so taking time to incorporate other people from your team in that onboarding plan and that strategic planning. And I know some of our teams have created a onboarding committee within their team. And those, you know, three, four, five, six people, however many people are on the committee um, that can be determined based on your team really do help with that proactive approach, like you mentioned. So they help spearhead all of the people, you know, sending a card or reaching out via email or calling that associate just to say, you know, we're so excited to have you on our team. Do you have any questions? And then once that associate is onboarded, you know, having those state interviews, having those quarterly check-ins or those rounding moments that you might have with some of your other associates, um, having them in place and already on calendars, like you mentioned, really is helpful. And so those are probably my, my two pieces of, of advice there is to understand the process at your, your organization and then involve other associates. And if you have an associate who's been onboarded within the past year, talk to them about their perspective. Say, you know, hey, what, what went well for you? What would you like to have seen? What would have been helpful? And, and maybe that's the per- first person on your, your onboarding committee there. Who knows? But really helps you to touch base with what is that fresher perspective on onboarding and, and how can we improve and make the experience better for or our, our new associates that are going to be coming on in the future. Oh, so many great insights there, Sarah, and appreciate you sharing that. I can hear the, the passion that you have around this process. And, you know, I took a, a few notes there uh, that I know I'm going to reflect on as well of just starting out of a strategy. And really the, the three big pieces that, that I heard there were one, know the organization's process so you can partner with what's already in place and then keep remembering that you have people involved to help. It's a team effort. And so how do you engage people in that process? And then know that it's continuous improvement. So how can you learn from the associate of what's working well? And then you also mentioned things like quarterly check-ins, the rounding, those pieces, which are some topics that we're going to discuss further in some of our uh, episodes going forward. So I appreciate you setting the stage for that. So leader, team members, As you're reflecting on this, think about what are you already doing? What's working well? Where might there be some opportunities? And how can you engage those new associates as well as your current team members to build a strategy so that there's consistency in the process going forward? And Sarah and I want to thank you for taking time to listen today as we've went through these pieces. You can expect to hear some more on tie-ins in future episodes. 
We appreciate you joining us here today on the Nemours Culture and Talent Podcast. The Nemours Culture and Talent Podcast is produced and edited by Carol Vassar Media Productions for Nemours Children's Health. Music is courtesy of Blue Dot Sessions in Turner's Falls, Massachusetts. Your questions, comments, and ideas about the podcast are welcome. Just email podcast at nemours.org. That's podcast at nemours.org. Find this and our flagship podcast, Well Beyond Medicine, on your favorite podcast app. And thanks for listening.